0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony. With me as always, we have John. Last time we talked about a week ago, the Kings were set to face off against the Jazz. Uh, they won, barely. Um, Laurie markannon sank that shot, <laughs> but he was a little late on the shot clock. Um, and also, they started a homestand after that game, lost the first two. Then beat the Magic the other night, um, and also in the time span, they waived Chima Maneke and signed PJ Dozier. Oh, and they also set a franchise record with twenty-three made threes in uh, in a game. So you're all caught up, John. Do you, <laughs> you want break down break that down a little little better than I just did? Well, that's a good run. That is a that is a do don't put yourself down. That was a well, great run. Not rundown. better than I did, but why don't you dive into it?
1: All right. Yeah, because I could never possibly do better. You know. No. But, yeah. Um, Thank you. I yes, absolutely. I should. Yes, you're welcome. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think the big the it, it's interesting that we're coming in here talking right after the uh, magic win because had it been before the magic win or had they played. Similarly, similarly, on a particular side of the ball, had as they had, you know, in the previous three or four weeks, um, we would have been dump, jumping right into the defensive struggles for this team, which I still think is probably not going away. I don't think one game shores up that the defensive struggles are fixed. Just like I don't think one game, uh, one good game from Chemezi Metu, is a reason to believe that he sealed up the backup center role. So even as they played very, very well, they played like, I guess, very well relative to how they were playing in terms of paint defense um, in the magic game. They got off to kind of a rough start at first, but you saw them come together and kind of shore up a lot of the mistakes that they had been making in terms of timing and actual effort and getting over to help and things like that. But um, before that, you know and before i mean before that it was it seemed like all those things were lacking they were not tight on all those things and it's not like they were 100% tight again on monday but it was much better and you know i think a couple of weeks ago maybe it was a month ago might have been at the beginning of december um or the end of november i think it might have been after that phoenix loss cuz we lost we we watched them lose off of a offensive rebound that was gathered by I don't remember who it was on the side. Corey Craig, I believe. Yeah, there you go. Great memory. And um, that ended up essentially sealing the loss for the Kings on their home floor. And rebounding had become. It was kind of a. I think their the amount of offensive rebounds that they allowed were kind of on going in the wrong direction at that point. Uh, When they had started off at the season one of the best teams in terms of defensive rebounding percentage and limiting offensive rebounds to their opponents. Uh, And it just seemed like it wasn't didn't really have much to do with them not having the ability. Clearly, they had the ability. But in kind of taking the time to go back and watch, like even in that game, if you just go back and watch each of the, whatever, 10, 11, 12, however many Phoenix Suns offensive rebounds there were, if you watch a lot of them, it's just like, Kind of just taken guys had just taken their foot off the gas in terms of being tight and those kind of like doing those little things, I guess, is probably how Mike Brown would say it. And I think that a lot of that went into the defense as well because it's just like there's just too many times where you'd see like you didn't have to even really know anything about basketball, you'd just be watching Kings basketball on and they're playing defense and the other teams just getting free lanes to the rim. And in a similar light, and again, I don't know if I'm 100% on this. I don't know everything. Uh, I'm not a basketball expert per se. Um, but from what I see, it seemed like they were just on top of that. Mike Brown talks about defense, you know, being more about timing, getting, their, getting your work done early, you know, anticipating things. And, and that just takes a different level of alertness, both physically and mentally, that maybe lacks after a couple of weeks or a couple of months into the season. and You just need to kind of fine-tune it again. And maybe that happened. Mike Brown was very happy that they applied the lessons that he felt they the lessons from tape and drilling and practicing over the last two days before the game. Um, he was happy that they had applied, had applied it. So maybe they just needed to kind of kind of get the frequency back on A little bit and kind of have that refresher i mean you see it in little microcosms you see it malik monk gets a game off he comes back his i think his first score of the game he had a springy as hell dunk off of Mm -hmm. two feet on a cut and you just see what like little things like that do and i I think it's just a matter of kind of getting that um i guess like tuning it back up as it were yeah
0: And talking about that paint defense, it was really nice to see them have a bounce back game uh, against the Magic. Just because I mean in that first contest against the Magic, I think they scored like in the eighties in paint points and was Seventy eight. So almost eighty, yeah. So they almost cut their paint points down in half because they kept it to forty two on Monday night. But yeah, it was it was just nice to see them, you know, against a team that had just destroyed him in the paint that and especially how bad they had been playing paint defense over the last couple weeks like they could have that bounce back game against a team that can't score in the paint. So
1: again it is the magic still though. A team that is 5-26. Exactly. But and it's not like they dominate in the paint either. I think they average like 48 and a half points like right in the middle of the pack in terms okay. of paint points. They're just a bigger team, right? Yeah, they are. But, but that was a, it. Was it was exactly what you wanted to see in terms of defense, and I just think that I mean defense is probably the hardest thing. It's just like it's one of those things that you constantly have to put an effort, constant effort, into being kind of like uh, an effective member of being on the string and even an individual defender. But really, it's that 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 first one that matters the most. Um, and you know, I just think it seems like in the process of kind of learning how to be a winning team, which is still what they're kind of doing. They are a winning team. They're fifth in the West right now still. So, you know, but they're still trying to learn to be a contender, I guess. So, and you hear Mike Brown say it. I think he said it really well when he was talking about, I think it might've been ahead of the game in Orlando or maybe after the game, uh, the loss to the Lakers Um, (laughs) because that was a perfect example of the defense being horrible. We can't (laughs) neglect to mention that they gave up what 136 points Mm -hmm. and talk about guys having open lanes to the rim just constantly. Um, Must've been a fun game to go to though. If you were just kind of like there for this, just like you're not like a casual, if you're just a casual basketball fan, that would have been a good game to go to, you know? Yeah, honestly a game. Yeah. It's crazy. A good one to take your mom to, you know? And, uh, but I think Mike Brown said something to the effect. It's just like, you know, you can maybe get away with out, just trying to outscore your opponents, but you're just not going to be able to do that in the playoffs. And again, that's the big goal here. I mean, we're starting to talk about it. It's not, it's, it's, that's just the reality of it. This is a, as it's projected right now, if this playoff started today, they're a playoff team. Um, you have to start acting like it and um, winning at home uh, rebounding all these other things matter but it's like defense might probably it probably comes first it's probably the most important thing everything else is contingent on it so you know well again it's one game I don't know if that's necessarily just fixed like that would you say it's fixed are you confident that that's well that's it we're not going to be talking about the defense (laughs) anymore no, I mean, I, I mean, remember after the not. remember the first win against Cleveland, it seemed like that kind of felt like they had just turned it on all of a sudden. They had they had the stops late in the game to win it, but they were kind of playing good defense in the games before that, if I'm not mistaken. This, I just feel like you know, just flip on the light and it's fixed. You you don't you don't anticipate that either. No, of course not.
0: Um, it's just it's just not that simple, really,
1: and especially with of course.
0: The past couple weeks, it hasn't really been that great. Um, So no, one game doesn't, isn't going to convince me, but hopefully they start trending in the other direction from what they had been doing over the last couple of games. So maybe it's a good starting point and um, they can continue in that trend. But like you said, I think uh, they're just, it's going to be up and down throughout the season. We're almost at the midway point in the season um hopefully they can get it back on track kind of like how it was during that winning streak they had earlier this year but then again it's going to be it's going to be poor again and that's just kind of how the kings are there none of us are expecting them to be like a top 10 defensive team that would be great but i think most of us are thinking around the middle of the pack 15 to 20 right for defensive rating so um i i don't know where they are exactly at this moment but um yeah, I just you know, I just think it kinda comes with the territory of being one of those teams. You're not gonna be the best all the time, but you're gonna have some good stretches. But mm-hmm. you're also gonna have some poor stretches as well. Of but course. not like how they had been the last sixteen years where it's just it's not even just a poor stretch,
1: it's just poor defense all season. Yeah, that's I mean I guess uh not to kinda like stick on the slow I mean If we really wanted to stick on the silver lining, we'd say that, oh, wow, yeah, the defense is figured out. But, you know, the big difference, obviously, between this team and, you know, more recent years, uh, the teams of more recent years, is the fact that, like, you can tell that it's bothering these guys that they're not playing good defense. You can tell that there's an effort there to change it. There's there's, there's no, like, pervading hopelessness going on there, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So... I mean, we, that, that was the talk at the beginning of the season, uh, just the different feel to the team and whatnot, um, but kind of shifting to another topic that you had mentioned, and I want to start off by looking back to kind of ahead of the season. We were talking about a guy named Chima Moneke, who is a UC Davis alum, potential fan favorite, exciting athletic player, but was kind of a long shot and we were we we had probably i think both come to the agreement that while the opportunity exists for this guy to somehow squeeze into the 15 man and somehow find a way to be an energy guy maybe off the bench or something i mean he definitely had all the makings of being that fan favorite for those kind of reasons that i first laid out and he kind of made the team and you know uh played in the g league was a sign of the g league most of the time uh for you know good reason i guess <laughs> when you think about it you you don't really want him to be in your rotation he's more of a project if anything i think it would be fair to say yeah um and now we're looking at what was it january 6th i think it was friday um chima chima Mineke gets waived um And it's one of those things where that, as Mike Brown said, gives you an opportunity to look at other guys, and we'll talk about the guy that they brought in on a 10-day in a second. But sticking on my neck here, you can't help but to think back now to kind of, you know, that move to keep him. And I know that you weren't really a fan of it from the beginning, so I don't know if you have anything to say on this. I mean, is this just proof that that was just needless or – Was that still a kind of a nice attempt to find lightning in the bottle? Um, No, it was just a
0: bad move on my part. I like Chima. You know, he was from UC Davis, which is local. So that's cool. And you wish the best for that guy. But especially just at that power forward position, that big man position where we already had a surplus of guys where we didn't have any at the small forward position. My issue if you're not aware, is that the Kings um, added Chima Maneke to their 15-man over Kent Bazemore, um, you know, excluding a proven backup.
1: veteran wing yeah. in the NBA, Kent Bazemore. Yes, him. or Kent uh, Bo- Kent Kent Blazemore. <laughs> but but uh, yes, Kent
0: Bazemore, Bazemore. Um, they uh, they didn't decide to go with him, and it just took away a backup from Harrison Barnes, who hasn't really had one in sack. Yes, if you listen to this podcast, um, you've heard me say this maybe every or every other podcast, but now that you waive Chima, it's just like... And I mean, I don't know. Like they, We'll talk more about P.J. Dozier in a second, but <laughs> I don't know. Like Just sign him to your G-League team at this point. It didn't really... I mean, he played what? A couple... I think he only played one time in meaningful minutes, and that was in like they were really trying to catch like lightning in a bottle in that game. It's like all right, just throw him out there, maybe he'll do something. The rest, I yeah. don't even know how many times he even played garbage time. Um, Probably
1: once or twice. I mean, yeah. a lot of the times he was just assigned to to Stockton. Yeah, exactly.
0: And, and maybe or, there's or a like good, recalled. If you yeah,
1: heard. like at Twitter,
0: it's like. The Kings have assigned him to Stockton. He's been recalled yeah. to the Kings. It was like, I
1: don't know, it was weird. I'll never um, have that game again. Well, that, that, was a, that was such a fun game. I mean, in terms of like, the tw- it was like a Twitter game. It was just like, oh, yeah, there, goes like James James, there goes James. There goes oh, James again. James having a, a schizophrenic fit. <laughs>
0: yeah. But uh, no, I just, I don't know. I mean, Kit Bazemore's still out there. <laughs> I
1: assume he wouldn't mind coming.
0: But, I um, thought he would have
1: gotten signed somewhere, honestly. I Like, do. I feel like. I thought the Lakers were, well, not the Lakers, because the Lakers were looking at Jeremy Lamb, I think is who I'm thinking of. But I thought he tried out for other teams. Um, you know, but I don't I mean, know. He just had that bad of a year on the Lakers last year, I he guess. He did. Maybe. He did not have a bad very, year. It was very, very clearly his worst year. Just lost his job very quick, was just a mistake prone. Like wh- like what happened to this guy? <laughs> Had the
0: quote of the year too. After leaving the Warriors, he said, I- "I'm leaving the Warriors. To go to the Lakers because they have a better chance of winning."
1: <laughs> just, oh my goodness! This
0: what a yeah. And the the Warriors win <laughs> the championship. It's like Dennis Schroeder betting, like turning down like a four year oh. eighty million dollar contract to bet on himself, and then he gets he gets a one a one year like six million dollar contract the next. Jeez. And it's so weird that you end up back on the team that you, yeah, about. <laughs> yeah. I know Lakers, are like, all right, get over here. for. Me. I don't know, I don't that's know right. Just is. let me tug on
1: your leash, Den, Dennis. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I bet mean, it was just to like mess with them. So,
0: yeah, we'll sign you three mil. It's like,
1: you you understand us, you're ours. It's like, yeah, exactly. God, I don't know, it just seems so weird, but you know, <laughs> yeah.
0: And more in Dennis Schroeder later in this podcast, too. So, stick around, yeah.
1: But Chima Maneke, it's just, again, I honestly take back what I said earlier, and this underlines it. I take back what I said earlier, and again, I, you know just to tease more topics later, but I said, and I think you kind of agreed with me, but I'm, I'll take credit for it because it came out of my mouth, that I can see, and this was probably in late October, early November, um, I can see – why they would keep Maneke to a certain extent because that there is it, it, there seems like there's a bit of a potential ceiling there. Maybe you could do something with him mm-hmm. instead of instead of keeping Chimezi Metu, who I felt had proven he didn't have much, if any, value in the NBA, which is still more or less true. But I still think he's he's been, I mean, he's been the best backup five so far. So, I mean, I take that back. Um, and I think just cutting Chima Moneke, I'm not cutting, I got to stop saying cutting. He, got, he was waved. Um, uh, uh, waving Maneke just kind of is an admission that that can was. You, can you explain the difference between waving and cutting? Well, I'm not 100% sure, and I was really hoping you wouldn't ask, but um, <laughs> I think it has something to do with the fact that, like, you go through the waiver process. So you have to, like, you don't just. Get signed by a team. I think you have to like get claimed. And now, obviously, it's not like he's getting claimed off the wazoo. So uh, I think. And people, if you're listening to this, if you have any way of commenting, please correct us. Um, I'm. I might do some research after this and write a whole explanation. Do you, can I just read back. it out? Just yeah, me. please.
0: <laughs> just Am I on the right out? track? I don't know. I wasn't listening. Okay. Um, <laughs> Waving well, a player in the NBA means that you're allowing other league teams to pick them up and use them on their roster. It's exactly Cutting, what I said. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Cutting a player for, in the NBA yeah. is no longer using them as part of your own team's active roster. Waving players allows for more time than just 24 hours before they must be claimed by another team. Does
1: that does that make sense? Does not make Okay. Sense? So is that saying that the is that they saying that the wavering process Is only 24 hours, and then they're essentially cut? Is that what they're saying? Read it again. Waiving players allows for
0: more time than just 24 hours before they must be claimed by another team. Yeah. (sighs) When a (laughs) a player is waived, it means that their contract is not yet terminated, but rather that they are on a waiver wire. So that means I think you can pick up their contract. I think you waive them, yeah. but another yeah. team can pick up their contract. I think when you're cut, you're essentially just like their contract's done. That's so a, no that's can- an
1: important that's an important note to make. That's a good point. But yes, so, yeah, I don't want to say I was right, but I was kind of right. <laughs> I trust you. You're the uh, you're the waiver wire expert,
0: and when it comes to waving wires, we're gonna- Cap City Crowns <laughs>
1: waiver wire expert. <laughs> yeah.
0: Waiver my no, the waiver wire wizard. The waiver wire wizard. I like that. When's the waiver right. deadline? I expect a big article. Uh, during stop, that. Put, stop, put it's like everyone down. on the God waiver. Here. Yeah, <laughs> we can get this guy through. I always, it always confuse me. It's like, um, it's like it's a trade deadline, it's like, no, the waiver wire, it's not until September 31st or August 31st in baseball. So, trade deadline was July 31st. So yeah, just, you can still make plays. And I remember one year the Dodgers got like Adrian Gonzalez, Josh Beckett, like all these guys from the Red Sox at the waiver wire.
1: Yeah. I remember the Giants got Dan Ugla, I think, that way. <laughs> from the waiver wire. Dan Ugla. Yeah, I think Ugla, that was last 2012, past. I think. I think that's when Scooter ended up. Well, no, wait. That might have been 20.
0: I don't even know, dude. I saw, I saw Dan Ugla hit a grand slam.
1: Dan ugla. On the Braves. He was on the Braves. He had a grand Talk about him. a guy that, that offensively played with just the way he stood in the box and his batting stance and the way he'd swing the bat. Just a violent game to him. Yeah. As a in a middle infielder. I just think that's such an interesting interesting You juxtaposition. Know? What
0: yeah, for real. What a last name, too. I mean, I think that just highlights him. Like Ugla. Ugla.
1: You ugla. I don't know. The, I just... the, I'm Ugla. You ugla, the world's ugla. <laughs> I feel like that's what he'd say. People be, like, hey Dan, how you doing? And he'd just say that every time. It's like, Jesus, what is that? You're you're right, Dan. <laughs> it's just it's just it's like full metal jacket. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but enough with uh, Dan Ugla. Back to the waiver wire. Who's your big waiver wire picks this year? I have no idea. Chima Maneke. <laughs> yeah, he's on the waiver wire. Um but enough with Chima, unless you well, have Well, you know, more to I say. wanted to. No, well, no yeah, more.
1: Before I forget that I have another topic that I want to slide in here before we go on to our, our new friend. Trying to pull a quick one, huh? Oh, yeah, because we're forgetting one of the Nigerian national team players KZ. KZ Akpala. Or and what's KZ, his real name? Casey. That should be Casey, but I don't know. <laughs> That's not his real name. It should be Casey. I just think that KZ is a cool way of saying Casey. It's like Casey Akpala. It's like, nah, dude, it's KZ Akpala. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot, you know? It but, is Chikese, but... Anyway. Chikese. Ah, I like it too, though. Easy. I like yours better. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and just tell people that that's what it is. Um, if I was sort of semi-right about the waiver wire situation, I think I kind of gained some credibility to bullshit some people. Sure. Um, no. But so KZ Akpala has just... Every time he's played, I think, over the last month, it's just been pleasant yeah uh, whether he's given you four minutes or 12 minutes it's he goes out there and does what he does and i feel like there's been i don't know i'll pull up his game log right now but it just feels like i think he went one for three the other night there was a couple of games ago where i think he went one for one i feel like he's kind of consistently hitting those open threes you know and defensively it makes a big difference i think he was part of why they played pretty well defensively against orlando he had a couple of good moments stopping the ball from getting inside the paint getting involved on the boards and getting involved in help contests i mean constantly i'm always finding clips for like for like different youtube shorts or something like that of like domas doing going vertical or trying to find Chemezi Metu going vertical, or trying to find Rashawn Holmes not going vertical. <laughs> um, uh, and it constantly I'm finding, like, not all the time, because he's obviously not getting it, not, hadn't always gotten a ton of play time, but KZ Agpala in there, getting good contests, shuffling down the lane with the guys. And I just feel like he's such an active and good member that just, the, you know, all we said was like, can this guy knock down open threes? and kind of just understand good positioning and spacing on the offensive end, which it seems to have come with time. Cause I don't think he was super good at that early on. I think that was one of his big negatives of being on the floor, but I think he's really figured it out and he's figured out what his place is when he's out on the floor and just hitting those threes, continuing to be that defensive light, you know, it's just, I don't know. He's all I can say is it's very pleasant to watch him play. He's always making a good impact. He's not hurting the team.
0: No, Casey's been awesome as of late. You plug him in, he's just going to play great defense and usually I'm one of the opponent's better players, right? So, um, I mean, I was kind of critical of him. I don't think he deserved to start any of the games this year. And I know he was kind of starting until Keegan Murray assumed the role. Not too, fair. Not too long into his career. But, um, yeah, no, he's been awesome. I almost liked the, like the, the backups off the bench for the power forward center to be KZ and I you know Trey was doing a little small ball five lately too so um I don't know they just seem a lot more consistent and like they know their role in Mike Brown's defense and and just Mike Brown's uh, I guess strategy in general so um no KZ has been great nothing bad to say about him he's been playing really good defense and he, he got he got one of the the DPOGs right uh the chains after- yeah, I think he Mm -hmm. I think he got the, uh, not the magic, he got the jazz win. Yeah. Yeah, -hmm. Yeah, he's been great. He's been great. And that's why they they got him, right? That's why Mike Brown kept him on the team. And he's really showing why. And he hit a three against the Magic. Yeah, I think he's hit a couple here and there. He still seems to me, maybe not lost on offense, but you can tell he's very limited in what he can do. I remember watching him. Um, I don't know. One of his appearances in the last couple of weeks, and he kind of like smoked a layup. Like it wasn't an easy layup, but it's like a layup NBA players make most of the time. So it's like you still kind of question his offensive liability. But I mean, if he can just hit that three in that corner decently, then that's really all you can ask if he's playing great defense. So I've really liked him. And when I really didn't like seeing him on the floor maybe a month ago, I'm like, Like, okay, like KZ's out, like, great. He's going to play good D, but he's also going to provide a little on the offensive end as well and not be too much of a liability. Like, they're going to be playing a four on five.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it's like almost like just having him out there. By improving the defense, it limits any ability to kind of highlight any deficiency on offense because the better defense you play, the more stops you get, the faster you play, the less you're playing in the half court, the less he's exposed. The, the less, op, you know, the more opportunity he has to have, like, hustle plays, get involved on the glass, or maybe get an open three, um, but not necessarily. That's just, everything kind of ends up working in his favor in that in that regard. So, by helping on defense, it's almost kind of, you know, making it, him more of a kind of, maybe not necessarily a net neutral, but a slight net positive, I guess you could say, if you're doing other things offensively and just overall on the floor. I mean, like on that end of the on on the offensive and that is a net mm-hmm. positive i think it's fair to say even then he is i think he, mike brown was asked last week you know like about kz you know he's playing well do you ever wonder i think he was asked do you ever worry about like him being kind of an offensive liability and mike brown was kind of just like and this could be cuz you see mike brown he's very he's he's always trying to instill trust and talk up his guys sometimes it's kind of just obvious But he was just, so maybe take it with a grain of salt, but he's like, I don't know. I mean, maybe you want to say he's a liability. Maybe that's what the analytics say or whatever, but I don't think he's a liability or anything like that. So I almost think that by looking at it from that regard, what he does on defense, how that affects the offensive end. um, I kind of see what Mike Brown's saying, if he's coming at it from that angle. But Akpala has been terrific. And in terms of, because it's interesting, you mentioned Trey Lyles playing the small five a fair amount. You've seen it. You saw after Domas fouled out in the Laker game, they went to the small five, as which I think kind of worked out. Not necessarily because Thomas Bryant was playing. So it's not <laughs> necessarily the best matchup um, for like Trey, but he went to Trey Lyles as the five in that situation, as opposed to going to Holmes or a player like Metu who was cold, who had not played that game. Um, so like – and in terms of like his, the defensive philosophy of Mike Brown playing on a string, playing together, not necessarily wanting a shot blocker, he said after the game on Monday that he doesn't care about blocks, um, it, it just, which was just another layer on that whole philosophy of his. And you know, Akpala, Trey Lyles, guys like that fit right into it. And I think this is a perfect transition to the new guy that could potentially stick around. We'll see. I don't know. We didn't really get a good look at him. On Monday, but PJ Dozier, um, a long six 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 eleven wingspan uh, shooting guard, that in that same light that we we're talking about, using length and um, defensive chops, essentially because Akpala is obviously a defensive that's his strength. That's how he makes his money. And Trey Lyles is one of the better team defenders at his position, and you know. You throw P.J. Dozier in there, not necessarily saying he's going to squeeze into the rotation or even necessarily gain anything more than maybe another 10-day contract or whatever the situation may be with him. Um, It at least gives Mike Brown and Jordy Fernandez that extra tool, uh, that extra option in striving for that kind of defense that we know can work in the NBA because we've seen it done with the Golden State Warriors, having the second best defense and one of the best defenses in history last season.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, no. Are <laughs> <yeah, I guess, laughs> you leaving that for me?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess that was kind of a handoff, but PJ Dozier, I mean, do you what do you what do you I mean, I, I can't say I know a ton about what he'll be able to do for this team, but you know, he's a guy coming off ACL, uh an ACL injury uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and um, you know, uh I think defensively, he could he could definitely help out. What do you what do you think about PJ Dozier?
0: Yeah, I like you. I don't know too much about this guy, um, but I do like his length—six foot six, six eleven wingspan—and it's kind of like that, uh, like that Kent Bazemore size, where Bazemore is like six four with that seven foot wingspan. I'm um, not saying he's will be the backup for Harrison Barnes, but definitely someone that you can throw in into lineups and. You know, like you you call it the uh, the on the string defense, some guy who can disrupt passing lanes. Hopefully, get good positioning. And it's just ten days, so he's on what already day day four like or, or day three five. Or something? I think it became official Monday, didn't it? Oh, was or it Monday? Like... Okay, so day two or three. Um, you know, we saw him in limited action on Monday night against the Magic. Missed um, a three. Missed a three. Cut him. But yeah, that's um, it.
1: <laughs> yeah i like think
0: brown just calls time
1: 10 out. day more like a one day <laughs> cup of coffee
0: but um yeah i mean i, I don't know it's it, 10 days are always tricky sometimes you, you kind of question it's like all right do we really need another shooting guard or a guard um when we kind of need a shot blocking big man or not a shot blocking big man but maybe someone who can uh play that the paint a little better defensively off the bench. So it was kind of interesting that we went with PJ Dozier, but maybe, you know, maybe that issues uh, issue with the pain starts from the perimeter, right? People driving in and maybe they see PJ is a guy who can stop that. um, The easy, the easy drives to the lane. So uh, with that long wingspan, it can, he can definitely help cut down on that. So I can see why they got him in that sense. And like you said, they're not looking for that shot blocker, but just someone who can play good, defensive positioning and Mm -hmm. um i I think there's definitely potential in that with pj
1: yeah i definitely think that they're probably there's still a separate search and effort to get a backup center no doubt but um you're looking at a guy like terrence davis kind of fall out of favor here um the defense is kind of his defense is kind of not he hasn't kind of had the same responses that he had like earlier when he started to kind of play really good defense it's kind of been up and down and in not playing very much, it's hard to get the offense in a rhythm. You said it a couple of weeks ago that people shouldn't be surprised if Terrence Davis, you know, being on last year of his deal and being kind of a a luxury, I guess, surplus at his position, essentially being the third shooting guard behind uh, Herter and Monk. And you already have Fox and, you know, you know Mitchell and all these other guys that can play on the, the perimeter. And he just it seems like the type of guy that would be moved. And um, I don't know. It almost feels like PJ Dozier is almost kind of a, a potential, I don't know. I don't want to call it a replacement. Cause it's not like there's any trade imminent or anything like that, or that they're going to do anything to just, you know, dump off Terrence Davis. Terrence Davis is still a great NBA player that could make me eat my words, you know, against the Rockets over the next couple of games. I don't know. Um, and I get I just think that they want that that consistent length and that consistent defensive, you know, ability. And Dozier aside I mean, if he's not coming off an injury, I mean, this guy's a rotational guy for the Nuggets. This guy was sorely missed in the playoffs. Um, the year before he tore his ACL, he got hurt in May, I think, or like right before the playoffs started. And they didn't have him for the playoffs. And you read things about PJ Dozier, you read like essentially these kind of like bleach report version things of like Nuggets writers and whatnot, um, talking about how much he was missed and how much this guy is such an important aspect of that into the floor and how he was able to do what we're kind of talking about with Akpala, what we've seen recently. But Dozier, I think, knocks, I think, I don't know if Wilsey Stats posted it and I was writing it. Into to one of the articles and I was thinking about it. I'm like, wait, is that for last year in limited action? 43% from three on open attempts, or is that last year in the year before, or just the year before that? I'm not hundred percent. I have wait. his
0: three point percentages up in general. I don't have it for the open, but and he's a career 31.8% yeah, it's not shooter. It's not he great. Shot, he shot like 34% two or three years ago. Yeah. In 1920, in the 1920. year 1920, <laughs> <laughs> years ago. <laughs> in 2019, in the 2019-2020 season, he shot a career-high 34.7. Um, in it, No, I like The next year, he played his most. He only played 29 games that year. He, he hasn't played too much. In 2021, um, he played 50 games and shot 31% from three on three attempts a game. His he high. he was
1: in the G League in the beginning of that season, and then he came up, and I think like he was active one night, and Jamal Murray got his ankle hurt. This wasn't like his ACL, but he got his ankle hurt, and I think he was out for two weeks, and Jamal Murray filled – not Jamal Murray, uh, PJ Dozier filled into the rotation, and that's how he got his spot, and that's how he was just basically a rotational guy at that point.
0: Hmm. And, and something important to note we're talking about pj on the nuggets a lot you know that's where kind of oh yeah we can't forget place. jordy <laughs> fernandez
1: can't were... forget yeah so, it, so, so. they asked pj dozier if uh jordy fernandez if he feels jordy fernandez was the reason he got brought to sacramento and he's like oh i don't know for sure but i kind of like to think so and he's like jordy's my guy you know like these guys have been around to each other for they were around each other for, for what, three seasons, essentially? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, excluding his G League time. But, yeah, I mean, it's like like we said earlier, it, it gives them another set of, you know, a pair of hands out there, another option. And he knows what he's doing. And the guy has experience playing on a very, very good team and being mm-hmm. a role player off the bench important guys and yeah and uh,
0: that's what i was kind of thinking about when you're talking about well maybe he's a replacement for terrence davis and i think that's a great point i think terrence davis there's a good chance that he's gonna get moved at the deadline and i like terrence davis and everything and you're like well maybe he goes up against the rockets you you just don't (laughs) really like it would be nice but it's like you know you'd rather have malik monk or kevin herter do that right like because he's he's not there he's he gets spotty minutes for a reason and it's just because he's not I don't know, he's not he's not their everyday shooting guard off the bench or starting, and you know I think he can be I think he's a, a backup shooting guard in this league so and I, I think he knows that as well. So if you trade him, and it's kind of uh, it kind of goes back to like the Delvadova versus Quinn Cook uh, conversation at the beginning of this year, where it's like Cook's the better player, but Delvado is more suited for that third string position or the third string point guard position. And that's how I kind of feel about PJ and Terrence. Like, yeah, I think Terrence is. I think he he could be a a good six man in this league. Maybe not like Malik Monk status, but I think Terrence Davis has a lot of potential. And mm-hmm. um, not to get sidetracked too much, but like PJ Dozier, kind of maybe that third shooting guard, um, or just kind of that wing player, um. Mm-hmm. I think he's more suited for that, and like you said, he's coming from a winning team. He knows what it takes. He knows like his role, even though it could be limited, it's still important. I think having those guys who know their role really well, um, especially one that can play defense, it's it's important for a team like the Kings, a team that's trying to make the playoffs and hopefully, I mean hopefully make a deep run, but um, just getting there in general first,
1: definitely. I think one thing that you said that I, I want to make clear, uh, I think when we said that Quinn Cook was the better player than Della Vadova, I don't think we realized how much game Della Vadova is still retained at his age because um, he's better than I thought he was. Like When yeah. we saw him in Charlotte uh, early in the season, he like, hit that big three. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. dude. And he broke, the, broke the,
0: the record yeah, for the Kings hit. on Monday. The Man, funky
1: shot. I love it. I love okay, Delhi. It's just like that's a guy you want. It's just like that guy, you know that guy's he's not even playing and he's helping the team. Yeah, exactly.
0: He's I mean, he's just awesome. He's a great great presence for a team trying to
1: win. But you know, I just on kind of one last note on PJ Dozier and how he could fit in. I mean, the way Mike Brown was talking about Casey uh on Monday night, I think he referred to him as a guy that adds more size and more length. Now, obviously, he adds more length. I think he's got like a 6'11 wingspan or something like that. Um, and But the, the term size, and it almost makes you wonder, it's like are they going to try to do more of like a KZ being more of like a four-type player? Maybe doing that small five with Lyles or maybe having that option or obviously Metu's kind of back in the equation again. Um, I don't know. Again, I think the main takeaway with it is it's just – you kind of have another another option on the Swiss Army knife of a team that you kind of have going. Um, and that's the kind of defense that Mike Brown wants to play, I think. But enough about that. Uh, it's time to talk about uh, Darren Fox. Because... What you got to say? Well, there's, a couple, of, there's just a couple of things with Darren Fox. I mean, you know, I think to start... You know, we talking about that Laker game um, seemed kind of like a a new level of a, a new peak in tension between Darren Fox and the NBA officials. Is that fair to say? Yes,
0: I would say so. He, he was visibly uh, frustrated at the end of that game. Um, but I have tweeted about that. it. He tweeted did about he? it. I mess him, "What he said? Oh, he, he said like it. I thought. I thought the game should be left up for the players to decide. Yeah, I they, yeah it's essentially. Yeah. Mm.
1: And you know, and everything was just salt in the wound when the two minute report came out, and um, it said that the call was called correctly, and like technically it was on the Schroeder one. It's like it's the body, but. To use Schroeder's own words, he was asked about it. He said, you know, that's not really a call that I ever get. It was kind of – I was surprised that I got that call because he he thought that the Kings had done a good job blocking off the inbound from going to LeBron. And it, it went to Schroeder, who was just past the half-court line on the other side. And he had to dribble up, and he felt that Fox did a good job of staying in front of him and keeping with him all the way downhill. And – just like a little bit of body contact, he was surprised that he got called. And then the three-point shot, or I guess the half-court shot at the last second, where it looked like Westbrook had made contact with Fox's hand. And again, if you're going to say, technically speaking, that the Schroeder foul, and I'm not really one that complains about the fouls, and obviously that's not the reason they lost the game. I would never say that. But it is just kind of interesting in the topic of Fox and the officials that they're going to get so technical about that one thing, but then not be equally technical um, in the the the, the half-court shot, I guess. And then just like the whole two-minute report, just being like, no, we didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> it's everything. I mean, like, to be, just to put it this way, um, I would be kind of pissed too if I were Taron Fox. I mean, like, holy shit. It's just, I would be tearing my hair out. That just seems very frustrating at that point. It's hard not for, I mean, even if it's not the reason they're losing games per se, it kind of seals losses, if anything. Um, that's probably as far as you can go. It's still highly frustrating for a guy that, you know, is one of the better players in this league.
0: Um, let me give my take on all of this. I, I don't differ too much, but I feel a little different at the same time. So the the Schroeder call at the end, I, I think it was a ticky tack foul and it, like in normal game speed should not have been called a foul. Right. And you can't do that. You can't call that a foul at the end of the game like that. Um, but I hated the challenge because you, you look at it in slow motion. Yeah, I forgot about And that. it's just like, I'm like, they're, they're not overturning this. Like if Darren Fox gives enough of like a body check or whatever you call it to when you look at it in slow motion, it's like, well, of course that's, that's a foul. Like you, I knew that was not getting overturned. And then on top of that, you waste your time out. So you can't advance the ball which I hated because I'm like, okay, now you're, you, I get it. Darren Fox hit a game winning half court shot already this year, but come on, let's be real. And then, I mean, I get it. It's like, well, you, you, call it on Schroeder, you call the foul on Fox for Schroeder and then you don't call it on Westbrook. I'm like, but I'm like, ugh, it's just, Maybe I'm more mad at how that game shouldn't have even been that close. And if the Kings played a little yeah, defense; they could have won. That's hundred like, percent fair. Yeah. Like you can't, what are you going to try to try to milk a, a half court three point shot foul? Like just because he touches you at the end. Uh, yeah. I, I get it. I get Fox's I, frustration. It, it stems from at call should not have been called a foul on Schroeder. It stems from that. But I think everything after that was just done so poorly. Um, by the Kings. I just don't think that play should have been challenged. And then I, it, it wasn't a, I mean, I don't know. Have you, it, it could have been a ticky tack foul on Westbrook, but you're not getting that on a half court shot at the end of a game. Um, so that's how I feel in the situation. And I'm just, I'm more frustrated at how the Kings gave up 136 points. And then Fox, I mean, I get it. Like you're mad at the foul call, but it's like, dude, are you trying to win? Like <laughs> when you give another 136 points, but I mean, I, Domas and Fox are usually visibly frustrated during the game. Um, some calls they don't get, and some are like, "Okay, like how is that not being a foul call?" Um, I think Fox gets a lot, though. At the same time, I I, I, mean, I think I don't know if they balance each other out so much. Um, also, pay more attention, but Fox gets a lot of calls at times and gets not a lot of calls at other times. It's kind of interesting, but. Um, I don't know. Sometimes sometimes I wish Fox and uh, and Domas wouldn't complain so much to the refs. But again, I'm not them. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not seeing the contact. But I always hate those guys on the other teams. And sometimes I just see Fox and Domas holding their arms up after a lot of drives inside. And it's just like, all right, come on, guys. like Let's not be those guys. Let's not be DeMarcus Cousins again. And they're not that bad, but I, I definitely see it a lot this year with them, them too, especially complaining to the refs. And I think there have been calls. Now I'm just going on this tangent, but there have been calls refs have missed. And there's been a lot of late game calls that the refs have missed on the Kings this year. But um, I don't know. It could just stem from them complaining all game. It's like, all right, well, it's what you get. I don't know. Refs are humans too. They could get a little payback that way. I don't know. I said said
1: a lot right there. uh, I think, well, two things. I mean, one, the, uh, no, I think everybody agrees the prevailing factor of losing that game was the defense. Um and two, the question was definitely going to pivot to I mean, is this actually is this kind of uh strong reactions? Cause all I was saying was that um this culminated to quite uh kind of showing from Fox in terms of emotions. Um and you know. You saw Domas get into a lot of foul trouble earlier in the season. And um, he kind of cleaned it up, and I remember he got asked about it. I have to find out exactly where that is. I mean, he got asked asked about it after a practice or a shoot-around. And um, he said, you know, it, you got to go back. You got to look at the tape. Do what you're doing. Because he's getting called on defense. You know, you got to look at what you're doing, make sure you're actually staying vertical and stuff like that, and also being a little nicer to the refs. It acknowledged that, you know, there's a little bit of a – you have to kind of politic a little bit um, in terms of kind of sweet talk. Not sweet talk them, but, you know, you have to kind of be savvy about it. Like you said, they, they're they people with, you know, senses of self-value, I guess. Or every, that's probably a nice way of saying egos. But, um, you know, they have a high level of authority you know, on a high level notoriety wise so why wouldn't they be egotistical i guess but anyways I, I i think i asked this a couple of weeks ago is it's just like is fox doing himself any favors because it just seems like it's more and more of what you're saying just kind of like complaining and you know what was it the game against the jazz where the, like fox like saved a tip out out of bounds and the dude was like out he was like he stepped out of bounds to Very tip, tip the ball mm-hmm. it's just like i just like looked at that i remember i kind of like i don't know Um, was just kind of like, to myself here, kind of as an objective viewer, was just like, well, I don't want to see you complain about another fucking foul call tonight. Like, I remember saying that to myself. Like, come on, De'Aaron. And I always am a firm believer that, you know, aside from like a Western Conference series against the Lakers 20 plus years ago, (laughs) you're not, (laughs) you know, I I don't know if, I guess maybe the playoffs – uh, you never know what funny business is going on in terms of uh, Vegas, you know what I mean? But you're not, in the regular season, those things are even. The calls that you're getting and you're not getting are essentially the same. And I do think that Fox sometimes doesn't get calls going into the to the uh, paint, but I don't feel like it's every night. It's not every time he goes into the paint, it's like, oh, where's, why, why is there no call? It's just like every now and then. I don't think it's anything abnormal. It just feels like, Maybe there's just, uh, I mean, I just thought about this. Is there like a bigger um, kind of demand for, is this just, is there something else going on here? I mean, is this a guy that just is, just kind of wants a little bit more respect in general? Maybe not just from the refs or anything like that? I don't know. I mean, it's just, again, I guess my takeaways here are I don't know if showing up the refs in during the game is the best way to go about it you know, it's kind of obvious. I feel like that's a fair statement. And then two, it's like, is it even like necessary? And I guess that leads to the question of like, well, like, why is this such a, why is he so animated about it? So frustrated? I don't know. Yeah.
0: I don't know either. I I think he wants that respect. Um, And, you know, we, we see how John Morant's officiated and we all hate it. Right. Um, but I also see Fox do glimpses of John Morant. I know I know Fox is a very fast player, and so is Morant. And I think sometimes Fox will just drive that, drive into the paint looking for fouls. Um, I don't know if there are fouls all the time, to be honest. maybe he, but he gets them called for him at points. Maybe not like Morant, but I think he wants that level of respect that NBA stars get because he is a really good player, but. I don't know. Earn that, earn that All Star first. You know, maybe that should be a challenge on himself. He wants to be officiated like a star player. Then you at least have to earn that All Star nod first. And I guess kind of going on a different tangent for Fox is consistent play all year round. And he's been playing well as of late, even though he had like a you know quote unquote like lower stat filled game on um, on Monday, and they still got the win, and he he affected the game in other ways than just scoring. But um yeah, he if he wants to be officiated like a star, and I'm not saying it's fair, it's just how the NBA is, of course. You always the stars always gonna get those calls. And so he he's gotta get to that level first. Um and complaining during the game, it's not gonna do him any good. And I get it. I get his frustration because there are times where he gets fouled and he doesn't get the call, but that's just it's just the NBA, unfortunately. We we see it all the time. We see the other team complain the same way. So I've never been a fan about complaining about the refs uh, or players complaining to the refs, unless it's like really blatant or just happening a lot in a game. But like you said, it's pretty much even. They're going to balance each other out. You're going to get some calls. and You're not going to get others. And you can't just call a foul on every play, unfortunately, like even if it is like sometimes contacts going to be made and, just how it is. I don't know. It's just, I get it. It's not right. But we've been all watching basketball. Um, you know, everyone listening, at least the Kings probably for a while now. And we know how the NBA is officiated. So we we know the players know how it's played, too. So that's all I got to say on
1: it. Well, just transitioning now, I guess. Um, is Darren Fox an all-star? Because if I had to put money down, because I have a mixed opinion about fox in the all-star game because i have a firm belief that he's not going to be an all-star and i'm not saying and just wait until i finish i'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be an all-star quite the contrary i think he's deserves to be an all-star but not for the reasons that generally get somebody into the all-star game um and i think that monday night's game against orlando was a perfect uh, illustration of that because you saw him we scored like 14 points i think uh Twelve. I don't think he got to fourteen. Yeah, I think he was like twelve. Like that. Yeah. Well, exactly. He had nine assists. He was he was a great facilitator in that game, and he was also awesome and played a huge, huge part of the defense, uh, the the defensive progression, I guess, that they made in that game and the the outing that they had in terms of being able to do all the little things that he needs to do, um, whether it's guarding his man that being the point of the point of the attack, uh, guarding the point of the attack, I guess I should say, or, um, you know, having to transition and come down lower and kind of Mike Brown kind of talks about that where three guys kind of protect the restricted area in a triangle formation. He would fill in and rotate very well from there. And he's quick enough to get back out to the perimeter, to defend somebody. He can, he's pretty savvy on the weak side coming out of the weak side. He had a moment where he picked up a ball handler and stopped a penetration, he looked good. And it's those kinds of things where I'm like, I just, that's what I love. That's my favorite part of Darren Fox It's just like, like not the, I love it when he goes off for 28, 30, whatever the thing is. Cause usually he's, he'll do it in spurts at critical moments of the game. And it's just like, nice, obviously that's great, but it's like a game like this where you're just, you're kind of like fueling from the like boiler room not you're unseen to the, to the guests in the hotel, you know, and he's just like, he's doing a lot of the things that they kind of go unsung in a way. And um, again, I think that's awesome. And it shows how dynamic his game is. We were talking about it when he was kind of uh, nursing that foot bruise and missed a game. And when he came back, the difference that it made, not just for the whole team as a whole, but just the ability to get the ball movement going to to get the pace going and to have the bench because he plays so much with the bench to have the bench rolling he just does so many things for this team that you know like that's my argument for being being an all-star but is that a winning argument i'd tell you right now it's not <laughs> it's just not he's got to score 24 20 i mean he's got to score more like 26 27 a game to, to really get serious contention am i crazy saying that i mean
0: no, you're not crazy for saying that. I mean, it's all about stats—not all, but mostly, right? Um, scoring
1: stats, particularly. It, it, right? Well,
0: especially for Fox, right? He's a mm-hmm. scorer. He's only if it, he was averaging like ten assists a game, it's a little different. But he's not, and it's—it's it's not his game plan to score that or dish out that many assists. um So yeah, it is all about scoring, at least for him and players like him, especially guards, I suppose. Um, But I didn't like you said that magic game where he went like 12 points nine assists like yeah he had the nine assists but like 12 points that's like half of what you want him to score at least so but those are the best kind of wins when you see the Kings still blow out a team or have an easy victory with Fox scoring below 20. I think that kind of just shows his leadership. And what he can like you said, his dynamic play, he's doing it just he doesn't need to do it so much on offense. He's doing it on defense. He's being a leader. He's getting guys hyped off the bench. So stuff like that um, is it is important and probably won't get picked up by all star voters or coaches. And I don't think he'll be an all star this year either. Just I mean, he's, he's been a little too inconsistent with that scoring and that like we said that's what's going to get him into the all-star game unless he really has a crazy January and a couple of other western conference all-stars or should be all-stars get hurt um I just don't see it mm-hmm. but you know and he has but he has been inconsistent yeah he was good on defense on Monday but he has he hasn't always been great on defense all season long so I mean, even though that's your case for getting them there, there are examples that that's like, okay, well, he was not a leader this game. He was not playing good
1: defense this game. So, I, well, I, think I would even just, cite having the ball stripped against Dejounte yeah, Murray. There you. I go. thought that was such a that was such a just a moment where I was like, Ugh, that made me shake my head. I was like, yeah,
0: no, ex- yeah, I forgot about that one. Don't remind me. But exactly, like examples like that that can take away from the case you were trying to build. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but um, because he, he, when the Kings win, he's usually a factor in some area, mm-hmm. and um, I, just, I think it all just boils down to consistency for Fox, and he's just not consistent on a night in, night out basis. And until he can be, and yeah, he has stretches where he's like you know, a week of just going off, and he won that player of the week earlier this year, but. He just, there, he just has too many bad stretches, and those stretches were, even though he's maybe not uh, doing it on offense, he's also not doing it on defense. He's also not being that leader, and like you said, that, getting that ball stripped away late in the game, it just kind of takes away from his all-star um, campaign, so we'll see. I, unless he, I mean, he's been great in the fourth quarter and he's getting a lot more media coverage or national media coverage this year than he has in the past, which will help his all-star case for sure. Um, but a lot of good guards in the West and personally, like until he's consistent, um, I just, I don't know. Does he deserve to be one? Really? I, I just hate his inconsistency sometimes and it's frustrating and um I don't know. It's like, I know he's not going to listen to me. So I hope he challenges himself to be consistent, to get that
1: all-star birth, to get, start getting
0: those foul calls, you know?
1: So, yeah. I mean, I think we're kind of saying the same thing. It's just one of those things where, I mean, you're probably a little less bullish on, uh, some of the other things, but, you know, I'm looking, I mean, I, I just from watching the game, I mean, I guess I, I was looking at the box score last night, obviously, but, um, you know, I it is a marvel to see him go five of fourteen from the field, which is a thirty five point seven field goal percentage, one of seven from three. Like that stuff's not like again. That just is backing up my point. For all the things that I said, that stuff doesn't matter in terms of getting into the All Star game. It's the stuff that you're not doing. You know, five of fourteen from the field, eleven points on the night. Um, he didn't even have a single free throw attempt in the game. So, you know, that stuff sums up what I'm saying. You know The mm. reasons I would make an argument that he's going to be an all-star are not – don't hold any weight in getting anybody into the all-star game. But you mentioned an interesting point about him getting more national media kind of promotion and uh, kind of a small topic here, just to note, um, in terms of Fox and also maybe the Kings as a whole, in terms of uh, you know how people perceive – California sports franchises, maybe more specifically Northern California sports franchises. Uh, the Raiders have been gone for a while. Maybe it's a chance for the Kings to kind of step up here as a winning team in the NBA now to kind of get a little more notoriety. And I thought it was interesting on Sunday after the 49ers beat the um, Arizona Cardinals, um, Talanoa Hofunga, um, strong safety for the team and a pro bowler, uh, was wearing Darren Fox jersey. Um, his, I don't know if it's his girlfriend, fiance or wife, but his lady, for lack of a better term, is sisters with Reese Caldwell, Fox's now wife. Um, and, uh, so there's the familial ties as he referred to. And, you know, Hafunga was at the game, I think, um, he's at, he was at one of the games, maybe it was the jazz game at home or something. He was at one of them. And then he was at a game, I think at another point this season, maybe, um, maybe mistaken. He might've been just at one Kings game this year, but I know he rung the cowbell or whatever. And, you know, uh, there's that connection there and, you know, it's obviously not the same extent that you're going to get with like having 49ers players show up at golden state warriors games, obviously. in, in at the chase center in San Francisco, um, it's not the same thing, but you know, like the Kings are kind of putting themselves on the map, Darren Fox, as we kind of said, is putting himself on the map. It's just kind of interesting that you can kind of get that. There's a little bit of a pipeline of promotion there from the 49ers who, you know, uh, as a fan, I would say is a Super Bowl contender. We'll have to see what that defense does in the playoffs, though. Um, They didn't do too well against Las Vegas, which was interesting. Um, But, you know, that's a notable franchise in sports. And uh, I don't know just in terms of maybe this is a better transition to the Kings as a whole. Um, you know, are, are the Kings kind of on the up and up in terms of putting themselves on the map? I mean, we talked about at the beginning of the season that they could be on their way to bandwagon royalty. I mean, I, am I over, am I overplaying Talanoa Hafunga wearing a signed Darren Fox, as you pointed out, game worn Jersey? Um, no, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but They're, uh... I
0: mean, they're definitely, like you said, the bandwagon ro- royalty. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think, let me, let me think of how to say this. They are gain- they are deservingly, or they, they have deservedly, uh, are gaining this national media coverage. And yeah, I think we are going to see a lot of bandwagon fans and maybe some more um, celebrities attending Kings games and, you know why not? They're an exciting team right now, best team in California at the moment. Um, true, even at uh, I mean I know they weren't that good on opening night uh, or that we knew of yet, right? But there was like some some big names. I want to say uh, Hufango was there on opening nights. So I was there. <laughs> you had the Bachelor, Matt James, which was kind of random. Um, Fifty
1: cents got the whole thing. I mean, that's yeah. a, this is a very Vivek Ranadive thing. Yeah, and when you that's think where about come and play. You kind of think about the Kings are almost mirroring the Warriors in that because, you know, the Chase Center has become a very luxurious place, as many have pointed out. Uh, You see celebrities there all the time. You're seeing not just 49ers players. You're seeing all sorts of people there that, I mean, I could care less about. But, you know, people make a big deal about it. So it's a big thing, and it it does play into. I mean, think about the Lakers through the 90s and 2000s. Like, they always had that kind of, like, lore to it because it was such a uh, kind of a – a dazz- it had a dazzling kind of effect on unsuspecting people, maybe. But, you know, it's just interesting in terms of, like, the Kings are, I don't know. I feel like the perception's fastly changing. It's quickly changing, you know.
0: Yeah. And,
1: yeah, well, two things. Kings- for better or worse, you know.
0: Yeah. It, it is. It's changing for the better. And, one, the Kings are playing really well. And I think a lot of people are supporting the Kings just because they suck. Like, who hates the Kings? Except maybe the Lakers fans, right? It's like, it's almost hard not to root for the Kings. because <laughs> They've been bad for so long. It's so like, yeah, good for them. And then two, <laughs> you got the beam. And that's just taken really over a lot of national coverage for the team. And it's awesome. It's, it's been really fun. Um, it's been really fun to witness and see everyone just really fall in love with the beam in Sacramento. have even seen it being lit up after wins. Um. so they they're that's how they're earning their coverage and I, it's deserved
1: and um. yeah I don't know, <laughs> I, don't know what else to say yeah, I guess it. I guess that it kind of sums it up and just kind of it's just kind of a, another step yeah, it is maybe. another step it you're right mm-hmm. it, it's another step because
0: um, it is just kind of like if the Kings can continue to do what they're starting you know to start their journey hopefully for something bigger and um, I think we're just kind of seeing the tip of it right now. We're like uh, a 49 or a Pro Bowl safety wearing a De'Aaron Fox jersey and maybe seeing the NBA or just even other teams like post beam team memes when they beat the Kings. they like, yeah, like no beam tonight stuff like that. And you see like the NBA talk about it or other big NBA personalities kind of talk about the Kings or the beam in general. I think this is just the tip. Um, and as the Kings grow and – hopefully make the playoffs and get better next year, maybe sign a big name, that bandwagon, the fans, it'll start growing and, you know, maybe get back to where it was in the early 2000s as a respected franchise and a franchise people want to root for, even if they're not from Sacramento.
1: You know, as silly as all of that sounds to me, that's kind of, I think, what you... It's, I did feel like that that's just the nature of the business, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. for as much, it just seems like, for as much as Vivek Ranadive is a, a, an interesting figure, I guess, uh, that I would not say I'm a fan of, I would say he's at least decent at that. For however <laughs> silly the 50 cent promotional stuff feels, I mean, he's decent, I guess, at getting these names to come to a franchise that hasn't made the playoffs in 16 years, I guess that takes a bit of pull. So. Yeah, rebuilding
0: a brand even, you know? The Kings That's what he's doing. This, he's a businessman yeah, after all. Exactly. He's the business side of this franchise, right? Not uh, not the operations of basketball, but the business, the face, right? In a way, not, not in that sense. But, um, you know, he's got to promote the team. And, I mean, I think he's doing a good job this year, considering the Kings are starting to win. The beam, I think in itself was huge, but, you know, like that 50 cent uh, sponsorship, that's, you know, he's a big name guy. And <laughs> so that's not bad. Um, I just think it'll
1: continue to grow in that sense. It's interesting. I just couldn't. It's interesting that just seeing Talanoa hafunga wearing a Darren Fox jersey can spark this conversation. I don't think yeah. I expected that. That's interesting. It's just yeah. something to think about. Um, it you know, is. The business. As silly as, again, it may sound to some people, including myself, uh, it is a factor in the NBA, the business side of things. Um, to kind of bring it back to basketball, for God's sakes, um, we've got to bring it to one of our favorite guys. Because um, we were talking about you know the backup center probably is still something that the Kings are looking to patch up from the outside. Um, but in the same light is, you know, you don't take one good defensive game and say that all the defensive problems are fixed. I alluded to it earlier. You also don't take one good game from Chimezi Metu as a sign that this guy is your backup center. But all year long, out of all the people that this carousel has stopped for and it's, you know, you know, who has ever gotten the turn Chimezi Metu has put in the best performances and put up the most when he had it the first time he probably put up the he easily put up the most consistent stretch of good play it was like felt like you know mid to late november for the most maybe most of november he played really well and uh kind of fell off maybe early mid december and then kind of the carousel started spinning again um but he kind of gets it back on monday and does the things that he does um Tony, I, I know you're a big uh, Chimezi Metu fan. Uh, what any, any thoughts uh, on you know what he provides, what he doesn't provide, and you know how long you think this little uh, kind of boost of Chimezi Metu Mezi Mamba enthusiasm uh, will last?
0: Well, Chimezi has definitely changed my mind a little more this year, just for that consistent stretch he put up, and like you said. Most of November until he kind of fell off in December, um, and I applaud him for it because Holmes wasn't stepping up, and someone needed to. And Metu was doing a good job as that backup center, not a great job, but for what Jemsey Metu can do, it was a good job, right? Um, and he's that guy. He's like he was doing well because he he was playing within his limits. He was playing within his role, and I think he lost that job because he started trying to do a little too much. It's like I can I can I can hit a hook shot like I've earned it. But it's like no, you play within your role. Um, so I think that's what kind of lost him that rotation. But like you said, the carousel. The Holmes Holmes got back. He got the job back, and then he lost it pretty quick. And Kata had it for maybe you know <laughs> two two games, if that. Um, so now it's back on Metu, and he's uh well I we say it's back on Matthew just because he played against the magic and he did well. I think he had what, like 11 points, nine rebounds, almost a double, double. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. He's just, I don't, at the end of the day, he's not the solution at the backup five. He's just what we have and doing the best at it at the time being, I suppose. Um, But you, I think all Kings fans are hoping that we can pick someone up. I like, honestly, I really like to get Nerland's Noel, um, at mm-hmm. the trade deadline or sometime or or sometime, right? Um, yeah, Noel or uh Plumley, in my opinion, yeah, exactly one of those two, or if not, just just someone, someone who not Mo Bamba. No, we
1: saw me. Mo Bamba for how many minutes the other night, and he yeah. did not look good. No, He played nine cool. minutes, 0 oh for 4, 0 oh for 3 from the field, no rebounds. Um, did have two blocks, I guess. But again, who cares about those, in the words of Mike Brown? Yes, exactly.
0: So, I don't know. Like I said, hats off to Metu. He's he's doing the most with the minutes he's given and in the role he's given, uh, as long as he doesn't play outside of himself like we saw him do. Um Uh, But like I said, at the end of the day, it's just if the Kings want to actually be a good team, a winning team. And it's not saying they're not with him at that backup five, but they really want to. They can be a lot better if they get a decent backup five and they're doing what they can with Metu. But where you're going to see him, you know, probably play himself out of the rotation again this season if no one else is. Picked up, and it's the homes, Kata, maybe the land, Metu, Carousel. They're yeah. all, it's just going to keep going in that circle. And yeah. that's his, just how history. His
1: recent history dictates that's exactly how that should go. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever the things that Metu does that are good, and there are a fair amount of things that he does well. he, You have an energetic, high performing bench led by Malik Monk, usually. He could fit right into that running the floor. kind of nesting under the rim I guess to get dump offs and lobs and stuff like that and um, he's I think uh, I think fundamentally speaking he's a better defender than Rashawn Holmes Um, he doesn't always have the best moments Um, he's pretty decent on the glass when he's got it going it almost seems like as long as he's applying himself to the right direction he's pretty decent and then you have to give This also some credence as well. What Mike Brown always says is that is giving the team a completely different look. Metu may be smaller than all these other centers, but he's faster than all of them. He's more athletic than all of them. If he can somehow, again, this might be kind of banking on something that I don't necessarily think is a surefire thing at all. Um, You know, if that can pan out and Metu can be consistent, then that's a great offering. If he can play within himself, affect the game the way he can affect the game, and use his very unique uh, physical skill set as a center, that being an undersized athletic one, to his advantage night in and night out, then great. But that's the problem with Metu: is can he stay consistent? And that's what you're looking at when we're talking about getting a Netherlands Noel or a, a Plumlee because you're you'd be getting a consistent guy. You know you'd be pretty much barring injury You know, you'd be shoring up that backup five, and that's been the problem this year. Is you know, you've had Met like Metu played well for a month, but what does that matter if you're not able to like sustain that? You know, that only lifts you for so long. That doesn't solve the issue. So, you know, I don't know. I love for Metu. I I I, by kind of getting another opportunity, I guess, at the backup five, it kind of gives you hope again, but. You know, he's got to prove that he could be consistent. I don't know if that's a hundred percent what he can do. And I think that when you're thinking about it, I feel like in terms of having that option, maybe in certain matchups to be able to use Metu, not to have to rely on him as the backup five, every game. Um, it, there's still value for this guy on this team and for him to get minutes at times. And he's also to his credit, done a pretty good job of staying ready. I mean, he, gets the minutes thrown back in his lap Monday night and he looked great. So he's staying, staying on top of things and he's proven that he can stay um, fresh and prepared for any opportunity that may befall him. So good for him in that regard. But backup center, you got to be looking for a consistent option.
0: 100%. Like you said, Metu probably not anyone's first choice as that backup center. But again, there like, even if they get like a New Orleans Noel or whoever, um, there is still room, like a place for him. And like you said, he is a, he's a different, uh, physical set as a center. He's a little smaller, but like you said, quicker. Um, and you know, Frank Brown has said that he kind of likes the change of looks between him and Sabonis. So he does serve a purpose and can, um, you know, do things for the Kings, <laughs> but, uh,
1: yeah. Well, wow, you're we're just brimming with enthusiasm about Chimezi Metu as usual, Tony. Yeah, you know I love the dude, right? He's my favorite. That's, I don't know if he did he, he can I don't know if I can call him mezi Mamba anymore though, because the things that he does he doesn't there aren't mezi mamba moments when he's playing well. He's not hitting game winning threes. No. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: don't earn my respect till you hit four game winners in a season.
1: Score yeah. forty five points. You just call him MZ Metu, like KZ like KZ. Yeah, or CZ, CM.
0: I like MZ better, even though his name's M Z. Yeah, Mezzy.
1: Mezzy. I like it when they call him, I like it when Katie Christensen calls him Mezzy. (laughs) She says it with like that little flair to her voice that she does sometimes. All right, Katie. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let's not get started on the announcers again. That's how we started last week. We talked for like 20 minutes about them. Fucking Yeah. The whole you sarcasm. guys want to hear
0: our input about Kyle, <laughs> Katie, and uh, Mark?
1: That Which was honestly... 39? That was such a gushing... That was like just a bunch of gushing essentially about Kyle Draper, how great he is. Yeah, essentially. That's essentially what it boiled down to.
0: Essentially that you take Mark Jones and Katie Christensen and pair him with Mark Jones. Or sorry, with Kyle Draper. Kyle Draper just looks like the best announcer ever.
1: <laughs> Your boy
0: Drapes. What can I say?
1: Your boy. And we did, we did the, I did some research on that. That stretches far back to his Boston days, the Drapes thing. But I don't know if he'd always been saying that here in Sacramento. Maybe he didn't no. earn the Drapes nickname in Sacramento. Maybe it took a while for that to stick.
0: He, yeah, I just, I, he just was nervous. He's like, guys, right, this is the game. I'm going to break it out. <laughs> and he stuck to it. I'll give it to him every time you see him. And then like, Coming up after the you know, it's your boy Drape's coming up after the game. He says it every time, so gotta gotta love him. I guess I don't I don't know. Still better Indeed. than Mark and Katie, in my opinion. But uh, enough with that, John. Any other anything else to talk about?
1: I think that's it. I think we covered everything. Um, I think one thing we didn't note, and we don't need to make this a topic, just to note: Harrison Barnes, thirty points oh, last night. Love that it. That was nice to see. Keep up the three point shooting, Harrison Barnes. It's the missing link to your game this season. Makes all the mm-hmm. difference. He looked
0: he looked great against the Magic. So yeah. hopefully, you can keep that up. Looked aggressive too. So, um, but yeah, going forward, the Kings have two against the Rockets in their five game homestand. They're currently one and two on this five game homestand. So hopefully, they can and they should beat yes. the ten win Rockets. Um, twice in a matter of three nights so on your um, home floor on your yes on your home floor so they need to win those that's about all the analysis i'm going to give for those games win them you should be winning these games at home so and then one of them was supposed to be on espn but no more so um i hope by the next time we talk i think we'll have two rockets games and a game Spurs. on Sunday Spurs yeah the Kings have an easier schedule coming up and honestly maybe even to end the year so. so they play the Spurs and Lakers maybe the Lakers beat us we should have beat them but easy schedule the Kings and it started a couple like maybe last week it was a pretty easier schedule going forward once with that Jazz game and I, I want to say they're only about even right now um like you said last week 12 of their 15 games were or maybe even 13 of their next 15 were against teams below 500
1: and yeah, i think going into that homestand after the six game road trip when they were playing in charlotte it was like 14 of their next there was 15 of their next 19 were oh. against, and then it was again i think it was like 12 of their next 14 after a certain point and it's yeah. really important too because Right at the end of January into February, they go on the longest road trip of the season. I think it's seven games. Um, Yeah, seven-game series where they go from Minnesota. They do two in Minnesota over three nights. Then they go to San Antonio, Indiana, do a road back-to-back from New Orleans to Houston, stay in Houston, and play Houston after a rest day before coming home. And then you basically have three games after that before the all-star break. So that'll be kind of a draining period. You'd like to be able to rack up some wins. This was what was so important about this stretch. And now you have to really seal the deal. It starts with these two Rockets games.
0: Yeah, they have not been doing that hot on the home floor as of late against teams they should be beating or could easily beat. So let's get back on track. Make it three straight wins with two wins over the Rockets and hopefully over the Spurs as well. So again, we'll have we'll cover that and recap it next Tuesday or Wednesday when we talk again. But John, anything else? Nah, that just about covers it. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in to this episode of King's Talk. Until next time, have a good one.